just that realization that truly nothing in that room held value. I didn't want to rummage through her things or find any stuff that she had. Nothing held value because she was so valuable to me. I found more value in her and her life and looking through all of the things that she did. There was so much more value in that than there was in her couch or her dresser drawers or, you know, I don't even know. Who cares what, what, what was there? There was nothing in there for me anymore. Hey there, I'm Renee, a self-proclaimed shopaholic turned minimalist. In just three years, my family and I downsized our house, paid off debt, and I learned to make passive income online so I could work anytime, anywhere. We did all of this in pursuit of a life of more freedom, flexibility, and fun. And the crazy part is, the more I detached from my stuff, the more I was able to let go of pesky habits like people-pleasing, saying yes to everyone, and being who I thought I was supposed to be rather than showing up authentically as who I am. That's why I want you to see the Unstuffed podcast not as a place for all things decluttering and organizing, but rather as a place where together we can unload it all. From donating those pants that no longer fit to bidding adieu to those relationships that have run their course, I want you to see our time together as a time where you can unwind, let go, come as you are, and there is no need to apologize for the mess. So let's shed some layers, drop some dead weight, and start living a little less stuffed. Welcome to the Unstuffed Podcast. Hey there, it's me, Renee. Welcome back to the Unstuffed Podcast. It is officially the day before Halloween, and in the midst of all the true crime podcasts out there and mystery novels, I really felt like I was falling short. So I thought I would put together uh, three scary things that made me minimalist. But as I was planning this episode, I realized my scary things are probably not what you're expecting. So before we dive into today's episode, I felt like I needed to give you a heads up. There's no true crime happening here. There's no scary ghost stories. As much as I would love to share something along those lines with you, we're going to talk a little bit more about the really tough stuff, the scary events that life brings our way that most of us will face some version of these in our lives. And I've really come to find that a lot of people shy away from the topics of death and loss uh, or hardships. And I have never been one to do that because some of the biggest lessons I have learned have been from the hardest seasons that I've gone through. So while I feel bad for letting you down as far as keeping the scary stories going, I do hope that you'll listen in to how my mind works in kind of a mixed up way that has translated the messages and events in my life that led me to practice minimalism. Now, this is a blog post that I shared that's called Four Life Experiences That Made Me Minimalist. So if you want to read the full thing, 
and get the fourth life experience, you can check out the link in the show notes. I'll leave that for you so you can learn a little bit more about me. But today I'm just going to dive into the scary three, the really tough things that I've gone through and how they translated into minimalism in my life. Now, of course, if you've been following me for any amount of time, you've heard about the loss of my dad. My dad died when I was 19 years old. And as of the time this episode will air, it will have been 18 years since my dad passed. Which is really tough to hear because that means next year it will have been 19 years. And that means I will have lived half of my life without him. Ooh, I don't know if I'm going to make it through this without sobbing like a baby, you guys. But the loss of my dad was really hard for me. And I think anyone who's lost a parent and remembers the memory of it can relate to this because I've heard other people say this or something similar. And it really made me feel validated and seen. And that is that. I always sort of knew on some level, you know, that there was a good chance my parents were going to die before me, but I wasn't expecting my dad to pass away when I was so young. However, I've heard from people who have lost parents, even when they're in their seventies, they're 70 and they had this belief. And I had this belief that my parents were never going anywhere. They were just going to be a cornerstone in my life forever. And I remember thinking that after I got the call that my dad had died, like my thought was like, but he's like a superhero. Like he is like superhero status. He, he can't, this can't happen. And even though my relationship with my dad had been broken for years, I still just thought he'd always be there. And even though, I mean, he was in the hospital, he had been struggling with his alcoholism for years. And I had only known about it for a few years. I didn't know my dad was an alcoholic until I was older. I never saw my dad drink. And people were saying, you know, this, this is it. It's not looking good. It's probably the end, but he would go home. He would get better. It was like, they would say that, but months kept going by and really it was like three months. So that's not that long. And he would just keep being fine. And he would just keep being there. So I, didn't really believe the other people. This is how my mind works. And it's kind of a blessing and kind of a curse. Um, you know, people will say this, this is the end or something scary, or this is going to be bad. And I kind of roll my eyes and go, ha, they don't know what they're talking about. Everything's gonna be fine. Everything's gonna be okay. My dad's not going anywhere. He's so tough. He's like indestructible. What's going to happen? So when he did die and I was with my ex-husband at the time. We drove to the hospital room and it was so depressing. It was so awful. We're not going to dive too much into it. You know, like we don't need to make this too difficult of a conversation, but I sat there in the hospital chair that I was in and I looked at my dad who was just laying there in his hospital bed, lifeless. And my Grammy, my poor grandma, just sat there stroking his hair. And I remember being so mad that she had to go through that. If I could protect anybody in my life, it was my grandma and my little brother at the time. Those were the two people I would protect forever and ever. 
I never wanted anything bad to happen to them. So I hated that my grandma had to experience that kind of a loss. So I just gave her her space to be with her son. But I sat there thinking, like, this can't be right. This is wrong. He had so many things he was going to do. Like when we were, when I was a kid, he would talk about, you know, all the things he was going to move up north. He wanted to buy a house in Two Harbors, Minnesota. That was his plan. He wanted to live in Two Harbors. And I I was this realization that he wasn't going to get there. He wasn't going to move there. He wasn't going anywhere. He was gone. He was, there was nothing. And I thought, he can't walk me down the aisle. When I was little, maybe five, he bought me this dress up, which was a wedding dress. It was a wedding dress dress up. And he took pictures with me in it. And I can't remember for sure because I was five. I don't remember all the memories, but I feel like he took those photos with me. Why? Because when I grew up and got married for real, he wanted to put those pictures side by side and those pictures would never be side by side. It wasn't going to happen. And I just sat there really contemplating all of that. And my dad was 43 years old, 43 years old. And all the things that he said he was going to do would go undone forever. And now I can thank him for giving me the fuel to live my life the way that I have, because that scared the shit out of me. The idea of not being able to do all the fun stuff I want to do with this life, forget it. I want to do it all. Now, I took it into a too far place for the next 10 years or so, not quite 10 years, but where I thought living was buying whatever I wanted. So I bought whatever I wanted, right? That's a topic for a different day. But it's also aligned with the lessons I had to learn to get me to become a minimalist, right? But what really started my minimalism journey in that moment, even though I didn't realize it at the time, was when my grandma left the room, the hospital staff came in and they said that they were going to take my dad. And my grandpa kind of wrapped his arm around my grandma and they walked out of the room past me, past the chair that I had been sitting in. And my grandma just looked down and shook her head. And she said, what a waste. That was a memory I had forgotten until I started journaling over the last few years. You guys, I'm telling you, journaling can bring up some deep shit (laughs) that you had buried deep down. Uh, And I cried that one out big time. But she said, what a waste. Not like she was mad, but just that she was so sad about it. And I felt so much in that moment because my dad was amazing, you guys. He was an alcoholic, but he was amazing. And I feel like that happens to so many people who have addictions. They are charismatic, wonderful, kind human beings who just can't stop. My dad was one of those people who had the potential to light up a room who made people laugh around him was always an adventure. He made everything an adventure. He could take a boring do nothing day and make it so fun and memorable. Like everything was YOLO, which I guess is good. 
but it all went to waste, not just because he died. It wasn't just like he got in a car accident and it was such a waste. It's so tragic. It was intentional waste was my interpretation at the age of 19. Now I'm older. I understand addiction is not necessarily a choice. It becomes a compulsion. It becomes addiction. But at the time, my 19-year-old self thought, I'm so mad. And I thought, I am never going to let a thing control me. My, my dad left me. He left me and he left my brother. <laughs> he left us. And what for? For a bottle. I sat there thinking he was in control of that bottle. He picked it up over and over again. When I stopped seeing him because of his problems that he had developed from drinking so much, when I stopped connecting with him, he kept picking up the bottle. He didn't call and apologize. He didn't pick up the phone and say, sorry. He just kept picking up the bottle and look at everything he's lost. He's lost his family. He's lost his life. He lost everything because he let an inanimate object control him. I will never let an inanimate object be in control of me. That was my mindset as I sat there in that chair. And like I said, then I went on to be a shopping addict for the next almost 10 years. I was letting stuff control me and I didn't even realize it until I did, of course. But that was my first decision that I wanted to be in charge of my life. Even if it's out of just sheer stubbornness. <laughs> I wasn't about to let anything control me. And when I realized that stuff was controlling me, I was like, F that, not anymore. It ends here. We're done. I don't want stuff to be in charge of me. I don't want to be inanimate objects. I don't want to be a victim to an inanimate object. I am in control of the things that I own. I am in control of the things that I touch. And damn it, I will do that. Because in that moment, I also realized I am not in control of a whole lot in this life. There's a whole lot that we're not in control of. And I think that makes a lot of us try harder for control. And what I've done in the span of my life was realize I'm not in control of much. So I'm going to control what I can. And it's not much. But I can control decluttering. I can control my shopping. I can control picking up a book and learning how to better manage my money. There's a lot I'm in control of in my life. And I won't give my time and energy to the things that I am not in control of. I will give, let go and let God. That was my, accept that I am not in control of a lot. And I found so much peace in that. But that was my first moment. That was my first kickstart. And the second one was when my grandma passed. So my grandma passed away late one Tuesday night. Um, and it was just her and I alone in the room together in her assisted living facility. And as we sat there, I looked around her room and I looked at all of her old photo albums. So she wasn't, you know, talking at this point. Um, I kind of got the sense she had already passed on. Her spirit had been gone, but her body was still going. And so if there was any part of her, her spirit, her soul, if there was any part of her that was still there, I talked to her. 
and I walked her through her life. I opened up her photo albums and I said, I'm looking at pictures of you, you and Papa. It says you're on your honeymoon. Looks like you're moving into a new house in these pictures. I see pictures of you with dad. I see pictures of you with your brothers. I see pictures of you. I just walked through all of her photo albums and I loved the black and white ones the best. They just felt simpler. The black and white ones, I felt like you had no choice but to look at the main focus of the photo, right? So even if it was just two people and there was a ton of stuff in the background, you saw the two people. Now, photos in color, you know, you look at the background. The colors are distracting. Your eyes get pulled to the background and you're reading the signs in the back or you're looking at the photo bombers behind the people and you're not as focused on the main subject as we once were with black and white. So I did a fun thing for the next year. I took photos in only black and white with my camera. At the time, I had my professional photography camera. And I only took photos of my family in black and white because I craved that kind of simplicity in my life. And we were still in our, we were had just moved into our big house, maybe been six months or so, six or seven months. And I was already just feeling the overwhelm of it all. And I craved some of that simplicity back in my life, the black and white kind of simplicity. So that was the first little part of my time with my grandma before she passed, was really enjoying what seemed like such a simple time. It seems so much simpler when you can look back at life in black and white photos. And the next part happened after she passed, uh, I sat there and I hugged her and I cried and I told the staff that she had gone, she had gone away. I called my aunt and told her and my aunt said, take her rings off. <laughs> Make sure you take off her rings. And I said, okay, you know, I'll do that. I'll take off her rings, Grammy's wedding rings, her wedding band and a, a ring that her sister had given her. And I think you can imagine how really gross that felt. Um, I'm not judging my aunt or anything. Of course, she wanted these things that were valuable to my grandma. She wanted them to be safe and not, you know, end up in the morgue. But it just felt so gross. And I think I hear so often about people who families, you know, some a family member dies and everyone fights for the stuff. And I think a lot of us hear those stories and we just go, oh, gross. Why? Why do people do that? Why do people start feuds and wars over the stuff? Take whatever you want. Take the money. I just don't care. I lost the person. And that's all I really ever felt was I, this person is gone. So to take off her rings felt, even though I wasn't taking them for a greedy reason, I was simply doing what I was asked, just felt greedy. It felt gross. It felt wrong. It felt like just ick, you know? And then my uncle and his wife and their kids came in. Um, you know, my cousins were crying. They were upset to see my grandma and know that she was gone. And my aunt said, you know, we're, we're donating all of this stuff to our church. There's a, a woman at our church or members of our church who want this stuff. So whatever you want, take it now, take it now. Cause otherwise it's going to be gone. Um, and yeah, that was just another moment where I thought, I don't want any of this stuff. And I kind of looked around and I saw no value 
in any of my grandma's possessions. There was no, ooh, gotta have that. Ooh, it wasn't like shopping. It just felt like I didn't care. But then I saw the frog lamp, which maybe you've heard me talk about once or 18 times. Uh, The frog lamp used to sit next to my grandma's couch when I was a little girl. And my grandma and I used to sit on her couch like five in the morning. We'd watch the sun come up. And the only light on in the whole room was the frog lamp. And then as she and I sat there while she took her last breath, the only light on was the frog lamp. And I'd always liked that lamp anyway. It had an old, dirty shade, a lampshade. But I thought, you know, I'll take that lamp with me. Kind of like every time I turn the light on, I get to think of my Grammy again. So I took that home with me. But just that realization that truly nothing in that room held value. I didn't want to rummage through her things or find any stuff that she had. Nothing held value because she was so valuable to me. I found more value in her and her life and looking through all of the things that she did. There was so much more value in that than there was in her couch or her dresser drawers or, you know, I don't even know. Who cares what, what, what was there? There was nothing in there for me anymore, right? And the third one that I have here, I forgot I actually have two more listed. Um, on the blog post, I have two more listed, but one of them's kind of cheating because it was already after I'd practiced minimalism and downsized our house. So I'll let you go through and read those if you want to. I'll link to this blog post in the show notes. But the third one I want to share with you was my son's mysterious illness that hit. Nothing scarier for a parent, right? Now, this was when we had already put our house on the market. We had already decided we wanted to downsize. And we took it off the market for Christmas because I just wanted peace at Christmas time. Um, If you want peace at Christmas time too, by the way, uh, in my $5 coaching, in my Instagram subscription, we are going to be doing the 12 days of blissmas for the month of December uh, just to help one another cultivate that kind of peace that the holiday season is supposed to bring. Uh, But at this time in my life, that was something I definitely wanted. We had had our house on the market for three months. I wanted it taken off the market for Christmas so that we could just enjoy that time with our family. And then January came and my stepdad was diagnosed with terminal brain cancer, had brain surgery, and then my son got sick mysteriously. And no one knew what was wrong. I took him to the doctor. They said, this isn't meningitis. If he gets sick tonight, because they gave him some Tylenol, if he gets sick again, take him to the children's hospital. So I took him to the children's hospital that night because he got sick again. He had really bad neck pain. He said, my neck hurts, mom. Don't make me laugh. It makes my head hurt say. So I took him to the children's hospital and they said, he tested positive for strep, could be strep. I'll let the next doctor decide whether or not to do a spinal tap. Um, And they did a CT scan and things like that too. And silly me, I didn't know what the difference was between a CT scan and an MRI. And spinal tap sounds like a scary word. So I wasn't about to push for that if the doctors were telling me it was strep. Um, the next doctor never came in to check on me or say anything. They just 
signed us out. They told us we were good to go. And my son kept getting worse and worse. He was on the antibiotics, but he wasn't getting better. Took him back into the children's hospital and was very, very rudely dismissed by a woman who I still try not to hate, but truly don't like her very much. Um, she sort of shamed me and yelled at me for questioning the antibiotics. Um, I said, some people said that the antibiotics could make him worse, you know, that that could maybe be part of why he's not getting better. And she, I think, only took that and decided I was, uh, you know, a certain type of person. She stereotyped me and dismissed me. But my son wasn't speaking. He was barely moving. And it makes me sad that she didn't see that. Two days later, he started... Um, wetting himself in his sleep again. He was four. This wasn't something he'd done. He was just going poop. He pooped his pooped in a diaper in his sleep. Um, and he hadn't been, he'd been sleeping for 22 hours a day for a few weeks. And this was something I had told this turdy doctor. Um, <laughs> but I called the emergency room again. I said, my son's you know, I was just in there two days ago, but this is happening. And the woman on the line said, you need to get him somewhere within the next 20 minutes. And I was, it was like rush hour. It was rush hour time. Perfect. Of course, I'll try to get him somewhere in the next 20 minutes. I was just at the children's hospital two days ago and was rudely dismissed. So frustrating. So I took him to the, the closer ER, which was 20 minutes from me. And, you know, of course, had to find somewhere for my daughter, my five-year-old at the time, and um, get everything worked out for that as quick as I possibly could while trying to rush the hospital. Long story short, um, the hospital near me did the spinal tap, did the MRI, and were able to see that he had fluid built up in the brain and in the spine. Uh, he had a very, maybe not so rare, he had a rare at the time disease known as ADEM which is a form of meningitis with encephalitis, if anybody knows what I'm talking about. Um, but it didn't mimic the same symptoms as meningitis, which is why it went undiagnosed, you know, the first few rounds. The second time I truly, the third time I feel like was just negligence on that part of the doctor. But uh, we now have our oldest daughter in medical school, and I was really happy to hear that this is something they are being taught. And that makes me really happy because no one at the time knew we had a neurologist come in and say, you know, the doctors couldn't diagnose this because not many people know about it. It's very rare. I, however, have seen lots of, I've seen several cases, you know, I'm the best one to be on the, on his case. Cause I, I know how this disease works. So at the time it seemed it wasn't well known, but I'm glad to know it's now being talked about more in the medical community. Not sure if my son played a role in the spread of that knowledge, but hopefully. However, he wound up being hospitalized for a week, went through so many tests. Um, he wasn't waking up. They didn't know what to do. Every day he would get slightly, slightly, slightly better. And I would celebrate the shit out of it. He, I would say, oh my gosh, you guys, he moved his finger today. He moved his finger. It, it would be thrilling. And I would tell everybody on Facebook, I had a Facebook group where I was sharing all of these things, all of his wins. If he opened his eyes, I would tell everyone he opened his eyes. He opened his eyes and then was about to go. They were going to put him under for an MRI scan, but he opened his eyes. And I said, you are not going to put him in that MRI machine. 
<laughs> until my husband can see him. I'm going to cry. I told Tom, Tom was on his way back to the hospital from something with the girls, with our other kids. And I said, you need to hurry up and come here. You need to come down here. Ben's going in for MRI, but I need you to come see him. So even him coming in to see him with just his eyes open felt like a relief as a parent. Um, and, you know, that they put him in, out for the MRI and you didn't know if he was going to open him again. It was awful. Um, then, you know, after the MRI, our neurologist called me and said, everything's gotten worse. Things are worse. And he started talking about dialysis and leukemia treat chemo treatments. Uh, and I didn't really hear much. I tried to pick up, but it's one of those things like, I'm not hearing you, buddy. You just told me my son's brain is getting worse, you know? So I went to my Facebook group, which I had been trying to share only positive, you know, all the wins, all the little wins that he was having. I would share those, the happy moments, getting, you know, people reading to him, his balloons. I tried to share all that stuff. But in that moment, I said, our doctor said it's getting worse. I didn't say anything about the potential treatments or dialysis. I didn't talk about that. I just said, please pray. And whether or not you believe in the power of prayer, but that night my son got out of bed and he sat by himself and was able to put stickers on a piece of paper. <laughs> it was like a miracle. It truly was. Uh, because he hadn't, he had barely been moving that, that my son, my husband was just excited to see him with his eyes open earlier that day. And now he was out of bed and moving and pulling apart Legos. He was, wasn't really good at the pulling apart of Legos. He didn't have much strength, but doing those functions and it felt like such a big win. And he progressively got better very quickly. And we went home a few days later, <laughs> a few days later, and we had physical therapy, occupational therapy, speech therapy, every like three days a week. It was therapy, multiple days. I don't even remember. It was constant. And our realtor called me and said, I'm going to assume you guys, you know, don't want to put the house back on the market during this crazy time. And I also think he thought we were crazy for wanting to downsize. He already was kind of like, oh no, they're having a midlife crisis or something. They don't really want to sell this, you know, big home. And I said, nope, list it. <laughs> Get this thing out of my life because it just didn't matter. The more I went through these things, the more I was reminded of what actually matters in my life. You could take away everything else in my life. I don't care because my son was okay. My daughters were healthy. I don't give a shit about anything else. Literally nothing. Burn the house to the ground. That's cool. My son is walking. My son is relearning to talk, you know? And in these moments in life, we're given such an amazing opportunity to be reminded of what matters. And the truth is not much does. Not much does. But we are so quick to cling to things or think that the next purchase is going to make our whole world better, you know, or the next house upgrade, 
new car, updated phone. And those things can definitely enhance our lives. I believe stuff can make our lives better, but so important to remember what foundation we want to be building our life on. And I guarantee you, you are not building your foundation on stuff. So remember, if you want to read the full blog post and read all five of the life experiences that made me minimalist, I'll share that in the show notes. But otherwise, I hope you maybe can relate to some of these and just sit in them today and take the time to remind yourself of what really matters. If you're getting caught up in worries about stuff or money, I know it can feel like it matters so much. I get so hung up on stuff still. But at the end of the day, what really, really does? Do you have the things that matter most? How are those things going? How are your relationships? How's your marriage? How are your children? How are you? How's your health? Because you know, if those aren't doing well, that's when problems really hit, right? And a lot of times we lean on stuff during those times, right? When my dad died, I went on a shopping spree. I bought whatever I wanted whenever I wanted because I just wanted to be numb to the pain. And it didn't get me anywhere. I don't know what I even bought. It didn't help. If you have a faith, that's something you can lean on. Because nothing in this world, no inanimate object, is ever going to solve the problems of our hearts. Hey again, thanks so much for hanging out with me today on the Unstuffed Podcast. It means so much that you chose to carve out some of your precious time just to hang out with me. If you aren't quite ready for our time to end, head to the show notes where you can grab my free declutter checklist, join my newsletter subscription, and connect with me on some of your favorite social platforms. Sending you so much love until next time.